The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. And your mercy, I thank you for this opportunity that we have now to worship you, to be in your house. God, I pray and ask that you would mold us and make us into the image of your Son. God, I pray that as we uh, gather together that you would allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. I pray for them as well. God, that your word would be proclaimed, that lives would be changed. God, we claim your promise that you are fixing that which is broken, that you are redeeming the world, a, a people to yourself. And God, I look forward to seeing how you're going to work in us this morning. And I pray that, uh, uh, that as we uh, hear your word, that we would not be merely hearers, but also doers. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to continue into 1 Corinthians today. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to seek to get through all of chapter 3 today. Don't laugh, we're going to do this one way or another. We're going to try to get through chapter 3, and as we've uh, taken several weeks to get up to chapter 3, Paul's been laying this foundation, and the reason for kind of um, going through chapter 3 rather quickly is because much of what he's saying is the same as what he's already said. He's reiterating or showing kind of these same principles. He's talking about wisdom, spiritual wisdom versus earthly or fleshly wisdom, and how we live in light of the wisdom that God has given us. Paul has been purposeful in laying the foundation of the gospel in these first two chapters of Corinthians. He, if you remember, he went to Corinth, he started the church there, and as he planted the church in Corinth, he stayed there for about 18 months and ministered to the saints, and after that, Apollos served as their pastor. So they had every opportunity, they had the Apostle Paul as their pastor, but they still struggled. They still had issues, they were struggling with Specific sins, they were struggling with spiritual maturity, and Paul's writing this letter to them, refocusing them back to the gospel and encouraging them to grow. And we're getting into the section of the book where there's a beginning to be a transition where he moves from this foundational, these foundational truths to specific application of these truths. There'll be four points to today's message. Um, the first point is really long. And then the next three are really quick. So don't get alarmed when we spend uh, 40 minutes going through the first point or 30 minutes going through the first point and then we'll speed up through the, second, uh, the, the next three points. But let's look at our text this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, a, as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? 
servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So jumping right into our sermon outline, the the first point in our outline is the problem of selfishness. We're going to look at verses 1-4 through in dealing with this topic of selfishness. But it's the problem of selfishness. Look at verses 1-4 through again with me. Paul writes, And brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Paul tells the believers in Corinth that he wishes he could approach them differently. He says, I wish I could come to you differently. I wish I could speak to you as spiritual men. But that's not what you are. He says, they're not mature, but they're instead fleshly. And they're immature. However, they are indeed believers. Paul's addressing them as believers. And this is evident by the fact that he refers to them as brethren. But by doing so, he's reminding them of their place in God's family. He's saying, your brothers, your sisters in the Lord, your fellow heirs in God's kingdom, along with me. However, you're acting like babies. Right? You're, you're a fellow heir, you're a brother, you're a sister, but you're acting like a baby. Now, for the sake of clarity... He is not criticizing them because they haven't had the opportunity to grow. 
Because they've had every opportunity, they just haven't grown. And the issue was not that Corinth was full of new converts who were struggling to understand how they battle sin and and how to live out the Christian life. We expect that. When somebody comes to Christ as a new convert, they struggle and they're trying to figure out, how do I apply all these things that are coming my way and the intake of knowledge and all this information that comes my way and they kind of struggle through living out the teachings of Scripture. But that's not the case here. It's not that they're all new converts, nor is it that they were immature because of a lack of solid teaching. You can also understand when a believer sits in a church that doesn't proclaim the Word of God, that doesn't teach the Word of God, that is not strong in biblical application, that a believer might struggle. They might plod along. This church had the Apostle Paul as their pastor. And right after that, Apollos took the reins after Paul. See, it wasn't for, for lack of opportunity that this church was immature. It was because they were living for themselves and not living for the Lord. That is specifically why he refers to them as fleshly. They were interested in feeding their natural, sinful desires. They had worldly desires and they were feeding those desires. They weren't living in accordance with 1 John 2. 1 John 2, 15 and 17 says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. They weren't living in accordance with that. They may have have become believers, but they weren't living like believers. Now we need to be careful, right? Because there's a tension that exists here. And for me, to preach on carnal Christians is kind of funny, right? Because I'm the guy who says, who typically maybe errs on the other side of the spectrum and says, if you're not living in accordance with Scripture, you're probably not a believer, right? I'm the guy who's going to focus on 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But Paul comes to these Corinthians and says, you're living like carnal men. I know you're believers, but you're living like the world. You're fleshly. See, there's a tension that exists. Paul's not saying they're not saved. In fact, just the opposite is true. He's saying, listen, you're brethren. You're believers. You've been given a new life in Jesus Christ. You're no longer of the world. So don't act like you are. You can't continue on with your jealousy and strife, for you have the Spirit of God living within you. This is consistent with 1 John 2.15, by the way. Right? If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. You see, Paul is saying you can't continue to love the world. You can't. You can't continue to feed your fleshly desires. He's talking to carnal believers who need to battle sin in their lives. And this tension, the tension in Scripture is there, and it's the the fact that the Scripture plainly teaches that there are those who are believers but are still fleshly, as evidenced by Corinthians. However, Scripture also warns that those who continue in sin, those who make a practice of sin and don't bear fruit in keeping with repentance, are not the children of God. So there's a time in all of our lives where we struggle, where we don't 
grow like we should, where we're not battling sin like we should. But there's also a warning in Scripture that says if you are not, if you continue along this path of not battling sin, then you're not a believer. And that tension is good for us. Paul tells us at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, examine yourselves. Check yourselves. Make sure you really are indeed in the faith. Hebrews 10, 26-39 provides a strong warning against continuing in sin after making a profession of faith. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26-39 says this, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. That's scary. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving this knowledge of the truth, say you walk an aisle, you say a prayer, you say, yes, I'm a Christian, and then you go on sinning willfully, this is what this sounds like, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. Let's continue on. And the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Points back to the Old Testament. He says, if you set aside the law of Moses, right, and you die without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? So if you disobey Old Testament law and you do not follow the things of God, but instead, two witnesses come to you and say, you know, this person broke God's law, then you die. He says, how much more, if you understand what Christ did for you, and then you don't live for Christ, how much more of a punishment will you receive? Verse 30, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who are so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. You lived for the Lord, the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come, and do not delay, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. It's a severe warning, right? But then in verse 39 he says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have the faith to persevere. He says, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul, the preserving of the soul, excuse me. See, the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing as Paul. Same thing that Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. He's saying, kill sin, or sin will be killing you. You must persevere. He's saying, if you continue practicing sin, the Spirit of God is not in you. But then, but then he addresses believers. And he says, but you, believer, you have the Spirit of God. You've been given the Spirit of God. So fight the good fight. Do the battle against your selfish desires. Because the Spirit of God is in you. And you can fight. And you can win. See, it's a severe warning, but it's also a great promise. 
If you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God and you can battle sin. And you must battle sin. So the two sins that Paul mentions in particular are jealousy and strife. I'm not sure why I keep touching my ear. I, 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 I kept doing that, and then I, for like the fifth time, I thought, I, I couldn't help but think of like a baseball player, right, or something, that I'm like giving signals to somebody. I, I assure you I'm not. It's, I've just developed this habit. Anyway, so the two sins, getting back to our text, the two sins that Paul mentions in particular are jealousy and strife. And they're certainly not the only two that needed to be dealt with in Corinth, right? Instead, he's pointing to the fact that these sins are examples of their propensity to be self-serving. That these particular sins are just examples of the way they're being self-serving. And we see these same two traits in Paul's list of the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. You can't help but read Paul writing here and think of Galatians 5 and the deeds of the flesh. Look at Galatians 5 verses 16 through 21 with me. Just a few pages over from 1 Corinthians. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. It says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. You see, we're, we're given a new nature, we're given a new spirit when we're born again, when we become believers, but we still have that old nature, and the spirit does battle with that old nature. And this is what Paul's talking about. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Strong warning, right? Very strong warning. But, verse 22, but, but. You're believers, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and with its passions, with its passions and its desires. So you're no longer, you no longer need to live according to the flesh. You can now live in accordance with the Spirit. So the connection between jealousy and strife is evident. It should be evident to us in this text. It's the same old problem that plays out in my life, and I've mentioned it time and time and time again, right? I want what I want, and I'm willing to sin in order to get it. And I'm willing to sin if I don't get it. It's James 4, verses 1 through 2. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? When there's quarrels in the church, when there's quarrels between you and your kids, when there's quarrels between you and your spouse, when there's quarrels in my house, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Sounds a lot like jealousy and strife to me. See, our sinful, our fleshly, our selfish desires get in the way of living for Christ. 
So what does Paul mean when he says, I need to really hurry up? What does Paul mean when he says, you are still fleshly, right? You're still fleshly. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not able. See, all too often, we're too quick to think of the gospel as milk and the so-called deeper teachings of Scripture as meat. For example, we might call an evangelical, an evangelistic message milk. If I was to stand up here and say, and teach through the Romans' road to salvation, we might call that milk. Whereas if I was to preach on a message of the meaning of the beast in Revelation 13, you know, the beast with ten horns and seven heads and the ten diadem on the ten horns, right? We would call that meat. However, I don't think that is at all what Paul is talking about. In fact, now let me finish before you get too carried away. In fact, I believe that the root of preoccupation, preoccupation with such biblical obscurities, the root is immaturity. Maturity in Christ is not forsaking the gospel and moving on to deeper teaching. But understanding that the gospel is the very foundation by which all good teaching is built upon. We can't take Revelation 13 and separate it out from the gospel and talk about it in and of itself. We have to understand how all of Scripture relates back to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's built upon the gospel. The point is this, we need to be careful. There's a type of teaching that appears to be deep, but it's rooted in man's ideas more than the gospel. And there's a real danger when we find people who want to talk about all these obscure things for the sake of obscurity without ever bringing them back to the message of the whole Bible. What is the message of Revelation? And how does Revelation 13 fit within that whole message? Not, well, I believe that the ten diadems are the ten princes who live in Rome. We need to be careful. We need to be very careful in the way we approach our understanding of Scripture. That's why Paul said to Timothy, young pastor, he said in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3-5, through if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine conforming to godliness... The doctrine which leads to godliness, not doctrine for the sake of doctrine, right? So if we go and we study this new city catechism and we become spiritually wise with big fat heads, but we never apply any of it, it's not helpful. The doctrine conforming to godliness, if they don't do this, he is conceited, Paul says, and he understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, and strife. Sound familiar? Abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness in and of itself is a means of great gain. See, oh, the number of people that I've had that want to debate doctrine with me without looking to their own lives to see if they're living in a manner consistent with Scripture. And you know what? I've done the same thing at times. Where I've wanted to talk doctrine, but I don't talk about whether I spent the morning in prayer like I should have. I want to talk about what it means, what Scripture means, but I don't want to talk about whether I love my wife the way I should. You see, here's what I think Paul's saying. I think he's saying, 
I'm still laying the foundational, the doctrinal foundations of the faith for you. And they're not penetrating to your heart like they should. See, Paul's desire is not to bring new, deep teaching that is disconnected from the gospel. Instead, his desire is to help them understand how the entirety of God's word relates back to the gospel, and it should radically change the way they live. You see, milk is easy to digest. Milk is, Christ loves me and laid down his life for me. That's milk. It's not untrue. It's milk. But meat is, because Christ loves me and laid down his life for me, I am now his. I was bought with a price. Therefore, I can no longer live for my own interest, but I must lay down my own life for Him, and I must seek His glory and not my own. So Paul, in a sense, is saying, I want to teach you the meat of the Gospel. I want you to see how the Gospel affects every area of your life, but you're stuck on Christianity 101. You're talking about Well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. You need to understand that this message affects every part of your life. That's why in Hebrews 5, 12-14, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. If you're taking in only milk, you need to understand that that there's more that you need to apply the Scriptures. You're being an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Have their senses trained so that they're living in light of Scripture. They're being doers of the Word. See, in the chapters ahead, Paul is about to give them some real meat to chew on. He's about to address everything from sexual immorality to lawsuits to head coverings to whether women should speak in the church. However, he never does so without first building on the foundation of the gospel. The feeding of the meat can only follow the appropriate digestion of milk. You don't start a baby with meat, but you also don't leave them on milk forever. Let me give you an example from my own life. When I was a new believer, I remember thinking about tithing. And I remember thinking, well, it's good for those people to tithe, but I have a pretty good income. And it, it shouldn't cost the church any more to disciple me than it does them, right? So why should I tithe? Because my tithe is more than their tithe. So, I mean, in fact, I'm one person. I cost the church less, Right? This is my immature thinking as a believer, right? And I wasn't, and I began to understand, I began to study, and I began to understand the Old Testament law and principles regarding tithing, regarding giving. But it wasn't the Old Testament law that changed my mind. It wasn't the Old Testament law that convinced me or changed me inside. It wasn't some teacher like John MacArthur who motivated me. It was a better understanding of the gospel that motivated me to give. That's what motivated me. You see, I know the principles for giving now. I knew them then. Give regularly, give joyfully, give proportionally, give sacrificially. I knew those things. But the more I understand the gospel, the more I understand what God has done for me, as Bill prayed earlier during the offering, right? The more I want to live out those principles. I must. When I understand what Christ has done for me, I have no other choice but to live out those principles. 
So let's get back to our text and wrap up this section. In verse 4, Paul asks them, he says, When you say, I am of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? In other words, are you not being fleshly? Do you you have a morbid interest in controversial questions and speculations? Should you not be more concerned with following Christ than you are about following men? Paul wants them to see that their focus has been on their fleshly, their selfish desires. They've been feeding the flesh, as evidenced by jealousy and strife within the church. And they need to heed the call to put aside those desires. To lay down their lives for Christ and grow in their understanding and application of God's Word. So, having seen our first point in our sermon outline, right? Point number one, the problem of selfishness. That they're feeding their fleshly desires. And that feeding our fleshly desires leads to spiritual infancy. We need to not only be hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word. We need to understand that feeding our selfish desires is going to create a problem that stunts our growth. Let's now consider the second point on our outline. We're going to run through these next three points. The second point is the example of selflessness. So we saw the problem of selfishness. Now Paul points to the example of selflessness. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5-9. through 9. What then is, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, so that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. He begins and says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We're nothing other than servants. We're servants given by the Lord. Yes, we had different jobs, but God is the one who caused the growth. And you know what? In verse 8 he says, and we're working on the same team. We are one. God knows our hearts. He's going to reward us. Yes, we had different tasks. God is the one who will judge who was more faithful, not you. We're working on the same team. And verse 9, he says, and we poured ourselves into this work, into his work, into his field. Who? You. You are his field. See, we didn't pour ourselves into us. We poured ourselves into you. And that's what biblical Christianity looks like. That's what maturity looks like. It's pouring yourself into others. So we saw the problem of selfishness, the example of selflessness, Now let's look at our third point, the need for self-examination. Verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man lays on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it. Because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work on which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul's point here is to encourage the Corinthian believers to make sure they're indeed building on the right foundation, with the right materials. The right foundation is Christ and His Gospel. And the right materials is gold, silver, precious stones, things that will endure. 
The picture of a fire is a picture of burning off the imperfections. The wood, the hay, the stubble, they're going to burn up. But the gold, the silver, the precious stones, they will remain. So when we talk about building, we wouldn't build onto this church without building on the foundation. The example we might use is with the fellowship hall, I don't know if you've noticed, is a little tight, right? When we have our fellowship luncheons and there's people sitting on the stairs, right? So we don't go, well, let's just build a little room off to the side here and not build it on a foundation. Let's just build it there and see what happens, right? It's not going to last very long. So make sure you're building on the foundation. Build on the foundation, which is Christ. And far too many churches, they don't set out to do that. They don't say, let's just build over here a little bit. Let's just do this other thing that's completely separate from the gospel. But instead, what they do is they say, let's just build a little, a little this way and a little this way. And before long, the church is completely off-center. It's no longer resting on the foundation of the gospel. And they have all these programs and all these things, some of which may be good things. But when they're no longer on the foundation, the structure crumbles. We can do a lot of good things. We can feed the poor. But if we feed the poor and we don't build it on the foundation of the gospel, eventually the structure will crumble. We need to build on the right foundation with the right materials. We don't build with cardboard. We build with things that will endure on the foundation. Going back to giving as our example, as my example, the right material is the heart. It's not the money, right? These things will burn up. What I'm giving when I give is my heart. I'm giving my heart and I'm doing it with the, on the right foundation because of the gospel. That's what we are called to do. So having seen the problem of selfishness, the example of selflessness, and the need for self-examination, are we building on the right foundation right, with the right materials? The final point in our outline is the danger of self-deception. The danger of self-deception. Verses 16 through 23, and verse 18 is the key here. It says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. Paul's point is that it's possible to deceive yourself and think you are wise. And that teaching based on human wisdom destroys the church. It may look good, but it's ultimately useless. Because true wisdom comes from God. So in this section, there's both a warning and an encouragement. First, the warning. Verses 16 through 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. The church is the temple of God. And those who bring harm to the church will be accountable to God. The decisions leaders make, the things they teach, are things for which they will be held accountable. Hebrews 13, 17 says, and this is scary in some sense for me, says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And that's, that's you, right? It's me as well. There's leaders over me. But in addition, this is speaking specifically to those in the congregation. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The thing that's scary for me is they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That when I get to heaven, I believe wholeheartedly that God's going to say, what about Dale? What about him? What about Mark? 
What did you do to disciple Mark? Why did you let Mark go astray? Right? What about Irene? What about T? And I have to say, uh, uh, well, I was busy and I had sofas to sell. You don't understand my life, right? That accountability, by the way, is not just for leaders, but it extends to the entire church on some level. We're all responsible for the work of the ministry. That's why we're Baptists. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. So that's the warning. Now the encouragement. The encouragement is verses 21 through 23. It says this, 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, all things present or things or things present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. God has given those who are his true wisdom. Whether it comes through Paul, through Apollos, through Cephas, through Mark Coons, or through Jason Polly, all truth is God's truth. So we must not boast in men. Don't say, well, I go to Mark's small group, Right? That's the small group to go to. Don't boast in men. Any wisdom that comes through Mark comes from God. That all wisdom has been given to you as a believer. He's given you true wisdom. Yes, He uses men, but ultimately, it's from God. And He's blessed you with it. So we see the problem of selfishness, the example of selflessness, the need for self-examination, and the danger the very real danger of self-deception, thinking we're wise when we're not. So how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically, here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we apply this? Number one, we need to recognize the problem of our own selfishness. We need to recognize that we're all self-centered. That we have a tendency to be fleshly. We need to kill sin. And we need to hold each other accountable. We need to help each other be doers of the Word. That's why I believe in small groups. I just do. I believe that there's something special about sitting in a living room and somebody says, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with parenting? How are you doing at work? Because I know it's a struggle for you. Tell me how you're living out the principles of Scripture. It's very easy to come to church. We all do this. Come to church. We put on a smiley face. How are you? Oh, I'm good, good. Oh, great. Oh, great. And then we go home and we're like, my life's a wreck. I'm going to die. Right? It's harder to live that, to do that in small group. We need to help each other be doers of the word. Recognizing our own self-centeredness and our need to lay down our self-centeredness and kill sin. Number two, we need to follow Paul's and Apollos' example of selfless servanthood. Not seek our own glory, right? Not build our own kingdom, but be about His work. The field is white. I believe it. The field is white for the harvest, but the workers, they're few. There are few. We need to be about selfless servanthood. Serve Christ and His church. Be working in His field. Number three, we need to examine our lives and our ministry and make sure we're building on the right foundation with the right materials. We need to make sure that everything we do is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked in Sunday school about St. George Days. And praise God for those who go to St. George Days and recognize this is an opportunity for gospel witness. And I struggle with that. I struggle with evangelism as much as anybody else. But we need to recognize this is an opportunity for gospel witness. If all we do is go and make kids smile and happy, what have we accomplished? 
What have we accomplished? That they smile and they're happy for 10 minutes and they jump in a bounce house and then they go home and they live and they die and they go to hell. We need to make sure that we're building with the right materials on the right foundation. C.T. Studd once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Number four, we must be careful. We must be careful. We must make sure that we are not deceiving ourselves and thinking that we're being wise when we're wise in our own estimation. We must seek God's wisdom for our lives and for our ministry. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for this opportunity to look to Your Word. God, I pray that you would penetrate, that your word would penetrate deep into our hearts. God, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. God, I pray that you'd help us to live out the commands, the truths of Scripture as a church like you have called us. God, give us grace. God, we are in need of your grace if we are to live this way. For it is not in us, it is not from us. But we praise you that your grace is with us. God, be with us now. Help us to no longer live for ourselves, but instead to live selflessly, to live as servants, to examine ourselves and make sure that we are not deceiving ourselves, to live for your glory, seeking your wisdom for our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.